This is Jenny Allen, and you are listening to the Made for This podcast. We are so grateful to Callion Wax Company for supporting Made for This. Callion Wax Co. handcrafts fresh and fragrant 100% soy wax candles that people are going wild for. Callion also donates 5% of your online purchase to trusted nonprofits working to empower brave young survivors of human trafficking on their healing journey. Buy two candles and get a third completely free when you use the code MADEFORTHIS. You can shop Callion candles at calyanwaxco.com slash madeforthis. And now, here's Jenny and Clint Bruce. Well, guys, you are in for a treat today because Clint Bruce was one of the most popular episodes we've ever had. Clint, your first episode has been listened to over 200,000 times. (laughs) I guess that's good. That's that's really good. That's a lot of people. And I think one of the reasons that people have so resonated with your episode is you speak really bold clear truth. And you have been through a set of very unique circumstances. So if you don't know, Clint Bruce not only was an NFL football player, but also went on to become a Navy SEAL. And so if you missed his first episode, go back. We'll link it in the show notes and listen to that one. Today, though, we're going to talk about fear. We're talking about nothing to prove in this season. And yet there are real pressures that push in on us. And so real quick, In case people haven't had a chance to listen to your last episode, tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, this kind of Forrest Gumpian kind of life that I've enjoyed. You know, it's interesting. I I kind of quantify my life as as occurring on four maps, right? So there's the ball field, the battlefield, the boardroom, and the breakfast table. And I've been really blessed to kind of be around people who were on high ground and just find my way towards those people. But, you know, I was born in Arkansas, you know, moved down here to Garland, went to school, the United States Naval Academy. And my father passed away when I was in high school. And, and, you know, one of the things he told me, my dad said this, he said a lot of things, but I remember I was visiting with him in uh, Medical City. And he said, um, we were just talking about the potential reality of him not making it through this illness he was fighting. And he said, Clint, leaders talk about what they don't want to talk about. They say what they don't want to say. They hear what they don't want to hear. And they plan for what they don't want to happen. And that's what makes them leaders. And so we got to talk about uh, this maybe not working out. And so I was you know, fortunate to be at a really, really great high school in the area of South Garland and uh, had opportunities to play at different places. And dad just kind of said, hey, you got to make a 40-year decision and not a 40-year decision about what you want to do next. And and so I'd always loved the Naval Academy. I'd always uh, loved the Army-Navy game. I, I got interviewed one time about that game and they asked me why I loved it so much. I said, well, you show me another game where everybody playing is willing to die for everybody watching. And I'll tell you that we have company. And I've just always wanted to be a part of, of, of places like that. So I went to Annapolis, was part of an amazing program there. Really, really blessed to be around these amazing men and women. I was just trying to keep up with on a daily basis. Went to the NFL, had also been selected for the SEAL program, which was a huge honor. So left the NFL, went to the SEAL teams, came back out to the NFL, and then kind of remembered why I left. And, and this is pre-9-11, so went back into the SEAL teams, and then 9-11 happened. And did that, got out, transitioned from the ball field and the battlefield to the boardroom and, 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 and a breakfast table, you know, trying to build and lead a family that I love, that loves me and that matters to others, and try to figure out this map called the boardroom. So just started chasing people who were on the high ground on the boardroom map and I've been able to build a few companies that allow me to work for people I want to learn from and be around. And and that's kind of what I get to do every day now is, is, is find ways that it's Proverbs 22, 29. You see a 
person next to the work than us before small moments before kings and queens. So like how did Joseph do it? How did Daniel do it? And just figure out what you're, what you're good at that people need and, and just do that in such a way that you are in the right to ask the dumb question and then, then ask it. Right. So that's the Forrest Gumpian snapshot. Married, you know, my bride, I have three amazing daughters who don't care that I was a seal or played football. Uh, so yeah, that's every day. It's a lot of fun. So I want to talk about high stress environments because you know them well, and you actually train people to deal with that high stress. So talk about what drove that passion for you, where you saw the value for learning how to deal with stress, basically. Well, part of it was an, an inevitability. I just watched the people in my life have to deal with it, whether they wanted to or not. Right. And so it was kind of, there's an imminent, you know, it's, it's interesting. We were in a, a, a group and, you know, John 1633 is where Jesus is like, Hey, I, I'm, I'm promising you trials and, and adversity here and don't fear the world because I've already overcome the world. So I think part of me was just always exposed to, I just kind of saw the people I wanted to one, I saw that no one was getting away from high stress decisions and environments. And two, I saw the people that I was, I was most inspired by, I want to learn from, kind of run towards those things mm. and, and, and try to intentionally live at that intersection of faith and fear. And so I just, for me, that seemed a way to work. You know, I, I tell my my daughters, I'm like, you got to run at the hard things because you can't get away from them. And when you try to get away from them, they just bite you. They're heel biters. They just catch you from behind. But when you run at the hard things, sometimes hard things flinch and sometimes hard things blink. Uh, and at a minimum, you get to dictate the the, the time and, and circumstance of your conflict when you run at the hard things. So it, it, it was a byproduct of inevitability. I just knew it was going to happen. And then two, just the people I wanted to be like most men and women, they just tended to run towards those hard things and put themselves in high stress environments and, and tend to endure. I mean, so much of lasting through high stress environments is just lasting, right? Just enduring. Did you realize that you were changing and growing as some of the stressful moments were happening in your life? Did you see that happening or did you just look back and and see that it had happened? It's interesting, you know, two thirds of, I mean, God's so amazing. I always feel dumb when I say that because of course, right? But God, so the more you get familiar with how the body performs under stress, the more you realize how incredibly uh, wonderful our, our creator and our designer is. And, you know, two thirds of performance is, is a machine. It's the body and the brain and how the body and the brain perform. Um, and then one third is really kind of the mind, just deciding what you're going to do. And when you just see how gifted and, and capable everyone is for performing under stress, it really is remarkable. It's really remarkable to go like, man, God knitted us together, us, the collective us for a time such as this, the collective this, right? And so one, to realize that we're advantaged uh, for uncertainty. And then two, from a physiological perspective, the brain lacks an ability to grow based on success. There's no trigger for growth based on success. It's only triggered for because of failure and adversity, right? So yeah, I mean, in real time, as I would overcome adversity, overcome stress, I would find myself increasingly comfortable with the thing that scared me the day before. And that's how we built our facility. We built our facility and we call it the Ready Lab because you can't learn if you can't fail physiologically and emotionally. So how do you learn to do the things you never want to fail at in real life? We well, do that in a lab. And what's really amazing is people see themselves doing what they thought unthinkable the day before in real time. And it's the first part of being able to perform under stress is the, like this inherent belief that you can and feelings respect facts. And so if you feel you can't, but you watch yourself do it, then that feeling is confronted with a fact, right? And we try to do that really fast and, and, and in real time. And it's, really cool to watch people become encouraged and empowered of just how capable they are. Okay. So let's, let's talk about fear. 
And specifically, let's talk about what fear causes us to do positively and negatively. Yeah. So fear is neither, fear is like a tide, it, you know, high tide, low tide. It's neither inherently good or inherently bad. It's a stimulus. It's a, it's a trigger. It's a, it's a signal. So fear is simply a signal. And when we stop uh, empowering and personifying fear with something more than what it is, you know, we begin to see it for what it really is. It's simply a signal, right? And, and physiologically, it's, it's the amygdala going like, hey, I don't know what to do about this. And then the body preparing for what to do after that. So fear is a signal. Like I, I don't particularly like the word fearless because um, it's it's one, it's not smart, right? And then and two, and the word I've always taught my daughters is unafraid, right? So fear is a stimulus. And then what happens? You really have two roads. You can go to afraid, which is the paralysis of analysis, which is uh, you know the inability to think, move, talk, or you have ready. And ready is simply the high road after fear. And it is training teammates, resources, technology, gear, plans. I mean, these are always, these are extremely achievable and extremely accessible things. But what to do with this potential energy called fear, right? And, and, and so fear is simply a stimulus. Uh, there's an amazing book that I just wish I would have read 20 years ago called The Body Keeps the Score. Yeah, I love that book. Yeah, it's, 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 I think it should be mandatory reading. But when you begin to understand physiologically the body's response to fear, you, you recognize it as, as, as a signal, just like allergies, just like anything else. And you, and you demystify it and you stop deifying fear as this insurmountable thing. It's just a stimulus, right? And it's what to do after that is, 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 is really exciting to show people. And what do you tell them? I mean, you feel fear rising up and what are we supposed to do? When you become familiar with it. When you come familiar with it, and this is where I love, when I get to go speak to companies, I'm very, very fortunate. I get to go speak to companies and I have this presentation called Pursuing Elite where I talk about what are the five decisions that elite achievers always make? And it's it's not really talent. It's not, and what I say is there's balance, there's curiosity, there's uh, tribalism, intentionalism, authenticity. So for me, curiosity, they're, they're all co-equal in significance and they're not linear or sequential but curiosity for me is kind of the catalyst for everything else. And I describe curiosity as intellectual courage. And it's the co-equal and precursor to physical courage. And the reason it's it's co-equal to physical courage is it's completely avoidable. And if we look at it, the only reason we don't ask questions is because of fear. We're afraid of the answer. We're afraid of the work that comes with the answer. We're afraid of what people will think about us when they find out we don't know. We're afraid of admitting we don't know. Well, that's the definition of courage is action in the face of fear. And so for me, why, why I extol the virtues of curiosity is that it is the way to program in a fear moment. It's like every question is a courage rep. And every time you ask a question, you're repping that courage muscle and you're making that courage muscle strong, which is important because courage moments don't announce themselves. They don't let you know they're coming. They're on you or they're not. And we don't train for courage moments. We might not make it. And one of the ways I know to program fear in my life on a daily basis is to ask questions because we all have that. We have that knot in the pit of our stomach when we're about to ask a question, especially in a room full of people who want to think we already know. Well, that's that's fear. That's it's from a physiological perspective. That's the same thing you see when you see a dog without a leash. Right. And for me, courage reps are simply questions. And I've always tried to tell my daughters, this, hey, ask one person. You don't know three questions every week and ask three people. You already know one question you ever asked them. And so for me, acclimating yourself to that fear sensation and then, and then programming your body to know what to respond to it, how to respond to it, that it can, in fact, work through it. That's kind of the foundational thing is to, is to let fear lose its power over you and recognize it as, as an external 
It's temperature. It's barometric pressure. It's a cloud, you know, and you are, and scripture just encourages this so well. I mean, Galatians 6, 9, do not go where you're doing what's right. And I'm talking about harvest and the benefits. You look at fear, then you look at what is right about fear. And then you just do that over and over again. Then you find yourself being less captive by fear than you ever thought possible. You just made an interesting leap. I'm asking you about fear. You're a Navy SEAL. And you just leap to basically building community and relationships, right? Yeah. So how do you tie that? Because I didn't see that coming. Well, yeah. I mean, listen, listen. I mean, there's something that's creating uncertainty. And we can read book after book about scripture and scripture, but there's a difference between isolation and introspection. Introspection is okay. Isolation is introspection's cousin. And isolation has very few benefits, right? And so we know that we've been given community in order to navigate through adversity, then fear is simply adversity. And so community is the answer to all that, right? Like, so for me, um, you know, if, if fear is adversity and the answer to all other forms of adversity is community, both with our creator and then with those who our creators equipped us with, then why should we respond to fear any differently than we do anything else? which is a look to your left and right and figure out who's been there before, who's going through it now, or who's about to go through it, right? And, and, and you just, you know, you learn from somebody who's already done it and you look at someone who's doing it with you like, hey, you ready? That's why all of our, we say two is one and one is none because if you're by yourself, you're wrong, right? There's no, we don't really celebrate the, uh, the accomplishments of a single person. And selflessness is part of that and service is part of it, but others, it's just impractical. Like it just doesn't work, right? Mm. You gotta be around other people. guys, it's Chloe, and I have been counting down the days till I've been able to tell you guys about Callie and Wax Company because it's a local candle company here in the DFW area, but they're not just any kind of candles. They are natural soy candles. They smell absolutely amazing, and they give back 5% of all of their revenue to their partner nonprofit, Traffic 911. We just can't say enough good things about T911 and their work to restore dignity and honor to local survivors of trafficking. And their goal as a candle company, which is really cool, is to provide an easy and simple way for the everyday person to join the fight against trafficking. Y'all, their desert and agave candle is out of this world. And I'm really actually pretty picky about candles. Like, I can't just buy like the regular off the shelf because I get sick of them after a little while or they're too sweet or overpowering. With this buy two, get one free thing, y'all, this is the perfect back to school teacher present. I just keep a bunch of them on a shelf in my office so that when I go to back to school night or birthday parties, I can grab one and give it to friends. And it's so cool to be able to buy a candle that actually gives back. I'm telling you, you guys are gonna love these. They have the cutest jars in the cutest colors and the fragrances are so great. I even get their little tea candle sampler pack and when I'm having like Bible study or parties and things like that, I just use those little tea candles in votive holders in my bathroom just to add some ambiance, you know? Like I'm all about Kellyanne candles and we know you guys will be too. Run, don't walk, go to C-A-L-Y-A-N Waxco dot com slash made for this and if you use the code made for this you can get that two candles and get a third one completely free so that's c-a-l-y-a-n waxco.com slash made for this and now back to jenny and clint bruce so your faith has shaped 
everything about you. And specifically when you look at high stake situations, what does it look like for your faith to actually enter your mind in those moments? Oh man. I, I mean, one is I'm built for this, right? I mean, that's, that's the thing is like you, you look at the Bible and the Bible has story of story, story about people encountering adversity and working through it, right? Either, either individually as they're thinking about it or collectively as they're actually wading into it. Right. And, and, and one, you got to give promote, like for me, it's like that, that is the template. One, I'm built for this. Why do I know I'm built for this? Cause it says it in the Bible and everybody in the Bible has been, you know, I'm perfectly and wonderfully made. Right. And so you look all the way back to the very first special operations mission was Abraham going after Lot. Right. And then what you saw when Abraham was going after a lot is this constant reduction of personnel. So you would think that more people equals more success, but God keeps winnowing down the resources Abraham had at, at his disposal and Gideon and Abigail. And all. I mean, it's just a constant reduction of what the world says is the right resources and a constant dependence on Christ. Mm. And you see success. Right. So one, I, I know I'm built for it Two, I know that God's, you know, God's not going to leave me. He's, he's, his story's threaded throughout every season of adversity, right? Um, and then three, I just go to the scripture that there's no there's no rocket science in this. I mean, it's it's in antiquity. It's in this perfect book that was written for us, like a manual, right? Like you, we order you order a TV and it comes with this manual. It's like, hey, here's how you use this TV, right? And, and the Bible's this manual. It's like, hey, here's how you use this mortal shell that I gave you, right? And here's story after story after story of how this works and. So for me, we say this often down here, you don't rise to the occasion, you sing to the level of your training. And so what have you, how have you trained yourself to respond to fear, right? And so I look at, you know, I look at Gideon and being told to use less. I look at David, you know, God got mad at David, a man after God's own heart, because David was trying to take a census to figure out how confident he could be in battle. And God was like, hey, man, when have you ever been successful because of the number of swords and spears? Like, when did I lose the seed of your confidence, Right. And so for me, you don't, you don't have to look very far. And that's, you know, I just, every morning I read a chapter to my daughters, a video, and, and I kind of read the Bible to my daughters. I went through Psalms. Man, that took a long time. There's, there's a lot of Psalms. But one of the things I noticed in Psalms, when Psalms is kind of a bunch of whining, and then circling back to God's in charge, right? <laughs> so true. And I mean, just, just to call it what it is, David's a whiner. Man, he's such a whiner. So is Solomon. You read Ecclesiastes, like, God, stop complaining, right? <laughs> And then he comes back and it goes, but throughout all the days, throughout history, God has, but God, but God, and anything after, but God is always amazing. But God has done this before, but God has sent me through this before, but God was faithful to his people, but mm. God, God. And so I just don't think it needs to be much more complicated. Like think about the wisest person you've ever known and how rarely you have to ask them the same question twice. You know, mm -hmm. just the wisest person. They ask you, you're just like, man, that's right. Yet God is the wisest being of all time. Yet we ask him something. Mm -hmm. We ask him the questions over and over and over again. He's like, yeah, Psalms gave it to you. I mean, I'll tell mm -hmm. you again. So, so for me, I just, I just never needed to look much past scripture, nor, or the people who I've seen endure incredible adversity and to see them going to scripture. And it's a harmony of both, right? One, I think we need to be okay with, feeling fear. I mean, we don't need to build ourselves. Um, we don't need to dampen this amazing sensor God gave us. We just need to trust that there's something to do with this potential energy called fear, you know, that then becomes kinetic as we put it to work and go to ready instead of afraid. Tell us a story of when that has happened for you. It happens every day. I mean, like there's nothing remarkable about that. I mean, making payday for my people on the first and 15th is 
in some ways scarier than jumping out of a plane at 24,000 feet, right? I mean, you know, when you jump on a plane at 24,000 feet, it's like there's some absolute, you know, gravity, wind resistance, air, all this other stuff. And there's a lot more uncertainty that goes into being able to take care of all my people, right? So I encounter fear on a on a daily basis. And yet I've just seen God be so faithful and miss that fear over and over again that I don't beat myself up for experiencing fear. And I just kind of get to the work of handling it the way God's already showed me to, show me how to do it. But living at that intersection of faith and fear is pretty literal. You're at the intersection, here's fear, here's faith, right? And so I encounter it on a daily basis. As you think about the state of the world right now and the low-grade anxiety that everybody feels, that's a form of fear as well. And you're kind of hitting on it when you're talking about payday and finances because that certainly is one after COVID for a lot of people. What would you say is the answer to that? For those that are saying, you know what, I don't feel afraid like a Navy SEAL very often, but I do live with this kind of constant low-grade anxiety. What would you say? Welcome to the club. The most fearless person you know is probably not going to be with us very long or they're just used to it. You know, the reason you think they're fearless is because they're acclimated that condition of awareness, right? And so for me, it's like that low cello background music that's always kind of there that constantly reminds you that you need something besides yourself. And most of it comes down to what is that something besides yourself you're betting on? You know, are you betting on, you know, the market? Are you betting on a CEO? Are you betting on, uh, what are you betting on besides Jesus, right? And so, like I said, we're not at war with fear. We need a war, well, because of fear, but fear is not the enemy, right? And I'm not one of these guys that thinks this is the worst the world's ever been. I mean, just, I mean, we were at war collectively as a, as, a, as a world. We're at war. I mean, we've navigated seasons like this. We just hear about it all the time now, right? I think one of the things we've got to pay attention to is what are we feeding ourselves? Like, you know, if you look at life as training, and I said it earlier, you don't rise the case and sink the load of your training. Like, what are the signals that you're paying attention to? And if you're constantly marinating in, you know, media, like there's no unbiased media left. It doesn't exist, right? So, so how how are you going to let this thing that's basically on the left or right both announced it's 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 total bias, and that's what you're going to let feed you? I mean, like, I mean, consider it, take it in. It's a, it's a it's an environmental. It's the temperature. It's the clouds. It's whatever, right? But you know. It's, what are you letting scare you, right? Mm. Talk a little bit more about people and the connection to bringing people in when we are afraid. What does that look like? And and specifically, maybe even just a step for somebody today that they could take if they do feel like that anxiety has just kind of taken hold. Yeah. So I, I, I think, again, the Bible is an amazing, amazing template there. Like you look at... You look at you look at Jethro walking into Moses, going like, "Hey man, what are you doing? Oh, I'm trying to run the nation. Like, why are you doing it the hardest way? Like, I get that, but why don't you appoint uh, judges of of thousands and hundreds and tens? Right? Why don't you distribute this fear of failure amongst a a seasoned, capable population? So, you know, the, the thing for me is like, it's just the right response. It's like you know they talk about you sprain your ankle, with ice, you know, ice, you know." Uh, rest, ice, compression, elevation, right? So for me, that's it's just what you do the minute you encounter a fear. As you look around and go, hey, am I the only one feeling this right now? And, and or I'm the only one that's experienced this before? And kind of shedding this terminally unique thing where, like, I'm the only one that's felt this way. Like, no, you're not. You know, I deal with veterans every day. It's like, I'm the only one that's, no, you're not. I'm sure you're 10 guys. You walk downstairs, there's 10 guys that have been as scared as you, right? 
And, they, and, and we've never done battle the way we do everyday life. Like, if there's someone who knows how to fight on that mountain right around the corner, you don't go ask him. That's on you, man. But we look at these. That's why the maps are really important to me is, again, the ball field, the battlefield, the boredom, and the breakfast table. The ball field is mental and physical performance. The, the battlefield is protecting those gods entrusted to me. The boardroom is providing for those gods entrusted to me. And the, and the breakfast table is building and leading a family that I love, that loves me and matters to others. Because now I got a map. I'm not the only one that's ever been on the map. So who's who's been on this map before? Uh, and the cool thing about having a map is if you have a map, the worst you'll ever be is wrong. But you won't be lost. Mm. Right? There's a big difference between being wrong and lost. I've been wrong and lost. I hate them both, but I'll take wrong over lost any day. Mm. And if we're lost, most of the time it's on us. Hey, get on a map, figure out who's been where you are, how they got out of there and ask them, right? Look at the people looking at you to figure out how to get through what they're going to go through. And sometimes that's the momentum. That's the catalyst that'll, that'll get you into action, right? And, and just trust that we're built for this. I mean, if we're not, then God was wrong. And I don't think God was wrong. So we're built for this. You sound very optimistic about the state of the church, and I would love to hear why. Well, the story ends. Yeah, keep going. First, I'm not letting CNN or Fox inform my perspective of the planet. You know, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to know people who have been where bad things are happening and be encouraged by the good people in the hard places, right? And so I'm not letting CNN or Fox or any of these talk show hosts dictate my temperature as it relates to the world. Right. And then I'm going to do my own uh, research on how the world's going. And I'm going to trust the Bible. So part of my optimism is refusing to let it be more complicated than it really is. Right. And, you know, like with the presidential election, I was like, Hey, Bible's pretty clear. I mean, God used Cyrus to rebuild the temple. God used a Persian king to rebuild Solomon's temple. Right. So, so God's in charge all the time or none of the time. And he's in charge of everything or nothing. So once you start reducing it down to its pretty simple form with a singular voice speaking into your worldview, then yeah, there's reason to be optimistic. We, we know how the story ends. I've already read this book, right? Mm, so good. I want you to close in prayer and I want you to pray for that person that's feeling that anxiety daily and they want to be free of it and they don't know what it looks like to change. So the one thing I push back on is I don't think we should pray to be free of it because John 16, says, hey, there's going to be troubles in the world, right? I, we want to do fear well is, is what we want to ha happen. Because fearless equals dead. The only time you want a fearless person is in a minefield, and you just let them go first. Like, oh, that's where one is. On, they stepped on it, right? So fear is not the enemy. Fear causes us to dive into our faith, right? So, yeah, I, I'd love to pray for us. Well, God, we just man, we just love that you're God, so we don't have to be. And we love that you're in charge of everything, and we love that you love us. And we just retreat into those three things: that, that you love us, that you built us for this, that you're in charge of everything, that you knitted us together perfectly in the womb for this, that that uh, you had told us what the world is going to be like, so we should not be surprised when the world does what it says it's going to do. And then we should also not be surprised when you do what you say you're going to do, and what you say you're going to do is you're going to be with us for us, in front of us, and behind us, and you're going to be God. But I love that this morning I was reading uh, Daniel to my daughters and it was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And it was when, you know, Nebuchadnezzar and he, he said, hey, listen, God's our God. We're not going to worship your God. And, and you can put us in the fire and God can save us. But even if he doesn't save us, he's still our God, right? And we look at the world through that lens. We find that, yeah, fear is going to be part of every day, but faith is going to be an equal and greater part of every day. So we love you. We love that you're for us, behind us, above us, around us. 
that you've knitted us perfectly together in the womb for this. That fear is not the enemy, but faith is the hero. Uh, Father, we love you. So thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray directly to you without advocate or emissary. We come right to our prayer because of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It is just like a huge honor to have Clint back on the show because his first episode with us last year is easily the top episode ever listened to. You guys are big Clint Bruce fans and I'll make sure to put the link to that first episode that Clint did with Jenny in the show notes as well as the info to Callie and Candles and a couple other things in the show notes that we want you guys to know about. So thank you so much for listening today. We'll see you next time for another episode of the Made for This podcast. Podcast.